Welcome to Bloombox Growing Deeper. I'm Sarah. I'm Hannah. And we're on a mission to help you become the gardener you want to be. Hello, gardeners. This week, we're going to talk about gardening with mushrooms, which I'm guessing is not what you expected us to say. But we have Denise Wally here with us. Denise, do you want to introduce yourself? Um, sure. Um, I worked for Nebraska Forest Service and I retired, oh gosh, a year ago in January. I can't believe it's over a year now. Um, I was a forester, forest ecologist, and I was the operations supervisor at Prey Pines Nature Preserve. Which if you're around Lincoln, you can visit on Saturdays. So go see all the good work that Denise did while she was here. It would be wonderful. I do have something to admit off the bat, which is that I do not like mushrooms, although they're growing on me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Not literally. But um, I went on vacation with a group of friends a couple weeks ago, and we each took turns making dinner every night. And somebody made a meal with the most delicious mushrooms I've ever eaten. So... And then I said, how did you do that? And I couldn't get out of him what was in it. I don't know. But (laughs) to be fair, it was Colorado. So you got to be careful there. (laughs) True. (laughs) But um, so let's talk about mushrooms. How did you get into mushrooms? Um, gosh, I have been interested in mushrooms since I was a little kid. I love to, I always love to go look at mushrooms and my mom always encouraged it um so I've always had it in the background of my life um but when I started in forestry uh, a wonderful woman named Suzanne Simard who wrote uh, Finding the Mother Tree was doing research on trees and mycorrhizal fungus and I happened to read something uh, about her, and then I followed her for the rest of my career in um, forestry, you know, the connection between trees and fungus and the whole ecosystem. So that's probably when I became sort of obsessed with fungus. But it was just recently, I mean, I've always, being out at Prairie Pines, there's so many, so many mushrooms that come out through the year. So I've always been taking pictures of them. But in 2021, um, some people started a mushroom club in Nebraska, the Nebraska Mycological Society. And I somehow found them and uh, we got together. And so it's become like a, a much greater pastime. And I am the secretary for the club and the newsletter editor for the club. So, you know, it took it took a long time to culminate into a, a, a life a life changing obsession. But um, yeah, so basically, I've just I just finally found my mushroom people, I guess. <laughs> but and I and I've been cultivating mushrooms for a decade easily. So which is what we want to talk about because I think people, the two most common attitudes towards mushrooms that I'm aware of is, you know, ew, they're growing in my ew. garden. What do I do about them? <laughs> or people who know they love mushrooms, but they only, they hunt wild mushrooms and they've not grown them themselves. Right. 
Yeah, and that's funny that you should mention the ones that say, ooh, they're in my garden, because when I was, you know, with the Forest Service, anytime uh, they would get a question about, you know, a mushroom growing in their yard or near their trees or whatever, it would always get forwarded to me. (laughs) And they're like, oh, should I pick it? Should I, you know, what should I do? And I'm like, well, it depends. If you don't have any animals, pets that would be interested in it, and you don't have children that might possibly pick it and eat it, then just leave it. It's not doing anything. It's not hurting anything. Um, But again, if you have children that might be curious and, you know, want to pick it, yes, I would, I would recommend getting rid of the mushroom and getting it out of their, their sight (laughs) for sure. Yeah. I, I've worked to encourage poking of things we don't know not tasting of things we don't know yes that's good that's a a great thing to teach children is you can poke it but don't we don't eat it it. (laughs) don't eat it so just before we move into like purposefully gardening with mushrooms are any of those things that randomly pop up in our yards like good for us like would we ever eat those or are they typically things like come in on our mulch that we don't know what they are um i'd say typically coming in on the mulch there is and i even looked this up before i came um there's one yard mushroom that seems to be really prominent um it's called the green spore uh, parasol which is chlorophyllum molybdites it's also have a nickname of the vomiter <laughs> so there's a reason you don't eat that one it won't kill you but it'll make you empty the contents of your stomach over and over and those grow in fairy rings and you know and they're beautiful i actually have a huge fairy ring in my yard Fortunately, I have a dog that has absolutely no interest in mushrooms whatsoever. She just she doesn't even look at it, she, or she kind of looks at it and goes, well, "I don't know what that is." So I'm, I'm going on. So, so they're really cool. I'd say most of the ones that would just wildly be growing um, are not something you'd want to eat unless you know them. Though I have heard, uh, in fact, one of my friends took me to somebody's yard who had an oak stump and there was chicken of the woods growing out of it. That's quite edible. <laughs> so, again, it's just you got to learn what the wild ones are before you eat it. You need to be 100% sure you know what it is. And what is a good way to learn that? Is it to go out with other people? Is there good guidebooks? Um, Nebraska does not have a guidebook, but Kansas just um, uh, published a guidebook. And and actually think Iowa also has one that's online. So those two would be just about everything you'd find here. You know, you should get a good guidebook, but you should also join up with people that know. Nebraska Mycological Society has a lot of very knowledgeable people. We have forays. We take people out and teach them. So, you know, learn from multiple sources. But if you want to be 100% sure, then you need to probably have some, you know, confirmation from somebody who knows the first few times before you say, oh, yeah, I feel pretty good about that. So... When it comes to purposefully using mushrooms in the garden, I hear two different approaches, and I'm curious if either of you have heard any more, but there's people using mushrooms, and like, usually it seems to be like ground up in a powder or mixed into a compost to improve the soil, or like growing them to harvest for food. I've heard of both. 
I've heard of neither. <laughs> <laughs> so this is new information to me. Right. I mean, just just cultivating them, purposefully cultivating them is going to improve the soil. Um, but, you know, there are special like potting mixes like Bob and Hendrickson uses a potting mix that's got a mycorrhizal component, which is fungi that supposedly forms a symbiosis with the plants or trees or whatever. So you can do that. Um, but to me, it's like, well, why not grow something you could eat while improving the soil? So, Right, because not all mycorrhizal are mushrooms. How does it Mycorrhizal work? <laughs> is mushrooms. Okay. Yes, those are fungi that, um, so myco means um, mushroom fungus and rhizal means root. Oh, okay. So what they do is they form a symbiotic relationship with the roots of plants and trees. And what they do is they help those plants and trees, mostly trees, um, get nutrients and water and actually increases their root surface area by like a hundred fold. And so the fungus gets nutrients and sugar from the tree and the tree gets nutrients and water from the fungus and more um, surface area. So it's a beautiful symbiotic relationship. But not all mushrooms are mycorrhizal? No, not all mushrooms are mycorrhizal. <laughs> okay, I'm there it, you I'm go. Figuring it out. Right. So there's uh, saprophytic, which means that they break down organic matter instead of forming these uh, symbiotic relationships. Now, I'm not sure if we know that saprophytic don't form some sort of bond, but in general, their, their purpose is to break down organic matter. Wood material, sawdust, mulch, any organic matter, really. So I'm going to just back up and like recap that. So mycorrhizal mushrooms grow in the root zone of a plant and form a symbiotic relationship. And sometimes when you pull up like tree roots mm -hmm. and there's all this white hair on them, yep. that's the mycorrhizal mushrooms, not the roots. That's... Or well, it's kind of them on the root. Let's Go call ahead. them mycorrhizal fungi. Ah, uh, okay. Because mushrooms are actually the fruiting bodies of the fungus, like an apple on a tree. Oh. That's what a mushroom is. It's okay. the reproductive fruit of fungus. <laughs> I know. That like, makes it Okay, so that's... Lot. And that's why then Hannah pictured, well, it can't be a mushroom underground because it doesn't look like... A mushroom. Right. Yeah. It's it te okay. technically it's not a mushroom underground. It's fungus. It's a fungi, right? The mycelium, okay. the which is yes. the actual body, the main body of the and of it pops the, fungi. the mushroom up above yes. ground to fruit for the and most reproduce. part. Yes. I mean, okay. there's few exceptions. Like truffles, don't tend to expose themselves too much, but they they're right at the surface. Okay. Um, and there's some others that do some weird stuff, but yeah, for the most part, the mushroom goes above the surface of the ground because its job is to send spores into the world to reproduce. That makes sense. Yep. That's one of the creepiest things I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. But here's here's a creepier fact is we're more closely, mushrooms are more closely related to animals than they are to plants. Sure. I so. can see that. Um, probably why I'm freaked out too, and our, our podcast listeners know this, I'm an avid sci-fi reader yes. and I did read, I've read a few sci-fi where mushroom type creatures take over. Last of Us. That's the, that's I the new. I haven't done that one yet. Oh my yeah. gosh. That's Cordyceps, which 
It cannot happen. That is a fiction. It cannot do that to a human being. But it does do it to insects. They do take over the the mind, the brains, and neuro, nerves of insects. So, We did mention to a colleague in the hallway that we were going to record on mushrooms, and she was hoping it was a very different kind of mushrooms than we're actually talking about. So yes, <laughs> we are talking about mushrooms for their nutritional value. Right. Not zombie mushrooms. No, we're not talking about zombie <laughs> mushrooms. Zombie mushrooms do not exist for human beings <laughs> yet. I was going to say yet. Yet. On this planet. <laughs> On this planet, that's They're right. Coming. Who knows? <laughs> Hey, fun, fungus are very interesting organisms on, on another planet. They might be the dominant life form. You never know. They were they were a dominant life form before humans were. Yeah, they're they're very cool. We're digressing. Though. We are. I'm here to pull you <laughs> but back. But it on is topic. interesting. It is interesting. But yes, let's go back to gardening. Okay. So the saprophytic. Okay. Did I get that word right. Yes, saprophytic. That then is the fungi category that we're more interested for producing food. Yeah. Is that correct? For the most part, most of the cultivated mushrooms are saprophytic because it's just easier to cultivate something that is going to break down the the organic matter that you provide it rather than having to establish a symbiotic relationship between it and a plant or a tree and then wait for the conditions to be perfect. Like morels are mycorrhizal, which is why they are so elusive. Um there are people trying to cultivate them. They're not having huge success, but, you know, you never know what will happen in the future. But, yes, let's talk about those okay. that we can cook, that to, we, we can, can cook eat, to we eat. can uh, grow them to eat them, to make medicines, whatever. So, generally speaking, I mean, and I mean, like, big, broad, what makes a happy garden for a mushroom? Um, lots of organic matter. Um, shade. They do not like direct sun. But they don't need the dark either. That's a misnomer about mushrooms that there's only like one specific species that grows in the dark and the rest need lights and um, and moisture. Uh, they do not like dry conditions. They okay. don't like it. They don't necessarily like it sopping wet either, but you do have to make sure they stay hydrated. And you hosted a spot on the garden walk last fall. Yes, I did. And it, it was clear to see how you've created the perfect mushroom garden with your you've got trees mm -hmm. generally shading it but I could tell from the plants you planted you're still getting dappled light coming through those trees and you've got an understory of larger perennials and some shrubs yep. um, and it just made me think of a woodland setting yeah. that you've created in your yeah. yard yeah and that's that's kind of the hope at least where we have the only street tree on the on the <laughs> block and it's a huge red oak and so there's very little sun on that part of our garden so it is it is that's exactly what i've done is reproduced a, a woodland understory garden but even in the areas where there's partial sun um i still can grow mushrooms like underneath plants that will get tall and give them shade and then in the back, which you didn't get to see on the garden tour, where I grow my tomatoes and peppers and whatever, I grow the mushrooms underneath them because those plants get really big. And by the time the heat and the sun are intense enough, those plants are big enough to shade them. And anytime we get a little rain, I just get a little bit of a flesh of mushrooms coming out so I could go pick a tomato and pick some golden oysters. So, yeah, it's it's very easy. 
Okay, so you mentioned a couple, but what are the types of mushrooms that we can grow in, at least in this part of Nebraska, um, in our gardens? Yeah, there's a wide variety of things we could grow. Um, oysters, there's at least four or five different uh, colors, I'll say colors of oysters, but some of them are different species or different strains. Um, there's uh, shiitake, which is not native to here, but a I don't think we're in jeopardy of it becoming uh, rogue or anything or invasive. Um, lion's mane, uh, let's see, maitake, which is hen of the woods, um, latoparis, which is uh, chicken of the woods. I mean, just about any really ones that are saprophytic that you might find in the wild, you could probably cultivate as well. That makes sense. So, because we could, it seems like from looking at your garden and hearing what you say, these aren't conditions that it's difficult to create in an urban area. No. We tend toward soils that are clayey and moisture filled. Right. Maybe just like the organic matter we need to make sure we're keeping high. Yeah. Some of our urban sites, our home gardens can be a little low on that. Yeah. So, I mean, all you have to really do is add mulch, mulch or compost, depending on what the species are. Yeah, I'm. I'm anticipating a question about Western Nebraska. Okay. Um, and I'm just thinking about. It. I mean, if I think about Western Nebraska woodlands, we have. There's got to be fungi in there. Oh, I'm sure there is. Um, do you see a possibility for people out west to be able to create this, or is the dry? I'm wondering about humidity wise, because we can keep a garden moist, right? But but yes, their air is air be humidity very dry. does make a difference. But there are a, a, as far as cultivated ones, at least the ones I've grown, um, they really do need a specific amount of, of atmospheric humidity. But of course, there are some native ones there that would grow now, not necessarily edible. But they would definitely grow. Um, I think it'll be a challenge anywhere that's dry. It's not a zero escape plant <laughs> or organism, you know. It's, um, uh, yeah. I mean, but you get you get water out there, and some of them have adapted to like, okay, you get a rainstorm, and the next day a whole bunch of mushrooms pop out because that's their that's their um, window of opportunity to to grow fast and they do grow really fast and put their spores out and move on so um so yeah it would be a challenge in the west but I, i'm not going to say it's impossible i mean try it it's worth trying so what are your favorites to grow i have such a long list of favorites to grow it's not even funny i have tried just about everything that's available through um uh you know companies that make the mycelium, um, the mycelium blocks. So my favorites, oysters are so easy. I mean, they're just, they're easy and they pop up and they keep popping up. So I really like them. Um, I've tried, I'm trying Hen of the Woods, which is my Taki, uh, Griffola frondosa. It has not fruited yet, but it's only been in since last summer. So, and it's in a log, and that takes a little uh, extra effort. Um, so, like things like shiitakes, um, those those need logs. Actually, they they prefer the wood to in order to um, the mycelium breaks down the wood, and then 
the fruit comes out when when it's ready. Um, but there's plenty like oysters don't necessarily need wood. Um, Lion's mane, which is a really, really weird, interesting looking puffball of a, I mean, not a puffball, but it's got these little hairs that looks like a mane. And um, they're such a bizarre looking uh, mushroom and they're incredibly tasty. And there's scientific research that shows that they help with brain function. Um, I, I've grown reishi in a, in inside. I have not grown that in outdoors yet, but um, we had to take a maple tree down last year because it was uh, it was on its last legs, and the squirrels were basically girdling every single thing. So we took it down, but I left a huge stump. And this spring, I'm going to plug that stump with mushroom plugs. And I would encourage anybody that cuts down a tree, don't cut it to the very base. Leave yourself a stump and grow mushrooms out of it because a stump will, will give mushrooms like multiple or fungi multiple years of, of fruiting, like especially with shiitake. So, um, What a great way to use our urban wood. <laughs> yes, it is a great way to use urban wood instead of cutting it down. You know, leave yourself a big yeah. stump and use it to grow mushrooms. That's. I think that sounds very fun. You started to talk about, so my next question for you was, have you done growing mushrooms inside? Yes, okay. I, I've been growing mushrooms inside for at least a decade. I have a little grow chamber. It's just, you know, one of those plastic green, uh, little greenhouse things with shells. And you just put a humidifier in there and you have to have some air exchange. And I buy the mycelium blocks and I put them in there and make sure the, the humidity stays high and hit fruits. And I harvest it and eat it. <laughs> cool. I'm wondering maybe, you know, if you live in a drier climate, that might be the easiest way to do it. Absolutely. That's definitely an yeah. alternative. Was that like entrance for you because it was easier or entrance because you weren't didn't have your yard ready? Um, I really hadn't even thought about growing mushrooms in the landscape at that point. And that's really just a, a like the last couple of years. And uh, I, I attended a, a webinar or something that talked about and I was like, mushrooms in the garden that's brilliant of course why didn't I think of that you know it's like somebody has a great idea and you wonder why you didn't think of that well I just didn't but now that I have I hope to pass it on to other people but yeah it's so easy I just it had never occurred to me which yeah. I just can't believe it didn't I mean I don't know until that day we were potting together in the greenhouse if it had ever occurred to me that like I knew people grew mushrooms in their basements like in grow chambers <laughs> mm -hmm. and I knew we had Fungi in the garden, because otherwise we wouldn't have decomposition. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I never connected the two. That yeah. you could Then that meant you could also grow mushrooms in the garden to eat. Yeah. yeah, and I had that same moment, too. So it was like, yeah, you, I put mulch in the, in mulch in the garden, and why can't I grow them underneath vegetables and plants, and why not? So, yeah, it's wonderful. Can you kind of walk us through step by step 
how somebody would get started with growing mushrooms in their garden. Sure. And you pick whichever kind you want. Okay, I'm going to go with oysters because they're the easiest. Um, Now, some people create their own mycelium block, and you can do that too, but it takes some time and not really even specialized equipment, but it just takes time and and the spores. You, You have to have the spawn for it. So what I do is I buy the mycelium blocks from a regional place because um, there used to be a mushroom grower here in uh, in Grand Island, but he is no longer in business and he's pursuing other studies in, in fungus, of course. Um, so uh, Field and Forest Products in Wisconsin is where I uh, buy almost all of mine. Occasionally, I'll buy something from somewhere else if they don't have what I'm looking for. But I'd like to have the regional, at least a regional. I mean, I'd love it if somebody in Nebraska was doing that. But anyway, so you buy your mycelium block, which means it's either it's going to be some sort of sawdust or grain or whatever that they have inoculated with uh, the fungus. And the mycelium has taken over the whole thing. And by the time it gets to you, it's ready to go to the next step, which is the fruiting step. So in order to, you take your mycelium block and you find places in your garden. You don't have to put the whole block in one place. You can actually cut it into, I usually cut it into fourths or sixths or something. Um, You want enough mycelium in it to give it a good start, but it doesn't have to be the whole block. And I just dig a little spot in the soil, you know, move the mulch away, dig just a little bitty trench. You don't want it, you want the mycelium to get up just a little bit above the, the soil line and then kind of pack it in there and then cover it with mulch. Um, and you want at least two, three inches of mulch on top of it. And keep an eye on the squirrels because they love to move the mulch off of it. So you just go back and you just put it on there. They're pretty convinced you put an acorn in there. Yes, well, and actually some uh, squirrels do like fungus. So, so yeah, so you just cover it with uh, mulch and make sure that it stays moist. Um, and then you just wait for the conditions. I mean, the conditions will be right when it's right. And then you'll see the, the, the mushrooms start popping up and then you just harvest them and it'll continue to do that for as long as you've got mulch and the mycelium's alive. So you said you put them among your vegetables mm-hmm. gardens sometimes. So does that mean you water it at the same like rate as vegetables or you just it gets water from around? Yeah, pretty much I water if if the vegetables need water, if the plants that are fruiting for eating need water, they need water. So it's about the same. They don't they don't necessarily need more than than the plants around them. That's an easier way to think about it. Yeah, because yeah. you know when to water your tomatoes. Right. So there you go. Yeah. All right. Sounds good. So then how long does it take after you do that to where you get to like harvest them? Well, I wish I could say there was a like in two days you're going to have them, but it's going to depend on the conditions. If the conditions are right and they fruit, then as soon as they're big enough to be, you know, you can see them, you might let them go another day then you harvest them. The thing that you want to watch, if you're not going to eat them, it's okay to just let them grow and sporulate. But if you're going to eat them, you want to get them before they're ready to drop their spores because it's just not good to eat a lot of spores. 
I mean, it, it, for some for some species, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. But they taste they're a lot more tender, and they taste better when they haven't spored yet. I just love the language with this. <laughs> I know spores and spawning. It's and great because it's <laughs> inoculate. Now you know why there's so much science fiction that lends itself to fungus because the language itself sounds so alien. Just thinking about eating spores is just creeping me out. <laughs> I can't handle it. Well, I try not to. I try to let the spores go back into the environment and mm-hmm. do their thing. But but if they do, in, what did you call it? Sporulate? Sporulate. Okay. That's, when, that's, that's cool. when they release their spores. Yeah. Isn't that a great word, though? I love that word. Sporulate. We're going to have to put that for our Wednesday word. Oh, I've got them. a better word you for do? you, though. There's a species called Inky Cap, and the way it's... Uh, dispenses its spores i'll say is deliquescing which means it basically liquefies like kind of like a zombie (laughs) melting that's kind of what it reminds you of it liquefies deliquescing it's it's great (laughs) that's one of my favorite words okay that one you don't eat you do um some people eat inky caps when they're um, i'm sure they do very young and (laughs) not even really close to deliquescing because it's nasty but when they deliquesce you can take that sports black you can actually make ink out of it i have a a picture a drawing of an ink cap drawn with the the ink from the deliquescing ink cap that's awesome yeah it was a lady in england and when i saw that i was like i have to have that that's just so cool so if it does sporulate but it won't hurt it like it'll keep producing after that it's not like letting dill go to seed no 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 yeah i mean yeah, I mean it's up to you. Once it's spored, you if you wanted to if you want to cut it and throw it somewhere else in the garden, fine. I mean, or just leave it. It'll it'll fruit around it. So if somebody started listen to this podcast, they got very excited about gardening with mushrooms. Is there a common error you see that you would want to make sure that people were prepared for? Like, is is there something? If someone's going to do something wrong, is there like a typical? Air to make? Hmm, that's a good question. I don't know too many people that are gardening with mushrooms. In fact, I know one, and that's me. <laughs> well, we're hoping to change that. <laughs> I mean, obviously, I, I went to a seminar or a webinar, and, and people are doing it in other places, but I've never actually talked to anybody here that is. Um, but I'd say for growing mushrooms itself that probably the biggest error is not enough humidity and surprisingly enough not enough light Mm -hmm. because a lot of a lot of those fungi are light is what triggers them to um uh, to to send the pins they're called pins when they're little things um out so they need enough humidity they need light and um and they need some fresh air too so which brings me to another question. Mm-hmm. Do they make it through the winter, or do you have to start this process over every year? Um, no, they just stay out. I mean, just like native natural fungus in the environment, you know, they go dormant. And, you know, some of them, the mycelium may not come back. And then again, maybe they will. I've noticed uh, I have a little uh, oyster cluster that's right by my front walk. Um, let's see, it, it fruited just before the garden tour 
And then we had some warm days, I think, in either December and it fruited. <laughs> and then it froze. So those fruit are not good to eat, but it's still there. And then I noticed this morning just a little, it looks like a little like on the side of the old one, there's a little bit starting to come up again. So yeah, I mean, they'll just go dormant. And if they survive, they survive. If they don't, then you just replant. Cool. I mean, that's kind of how most yeah. gardening goes. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> even if it's supposed to survive, it's not guaranteed. Right. Yeah, exactly. So we tried to plan this, the release of this episode around a decent time to do stuff. So it's early May. Mm-hmm. Is is there kind of like a planting season or do you just avoid like the hottest part of the year? Um, I don't I don't avoid anything. Um, I was done with some mycelium blocks last year in July. And I said, meh, okay, I'm going to cut them up and put them in the garden. Didn't make any difference. Um, you obviously can't do it when it's frozen. You don't want to do that. But, but Fair enough. <laughs> but, you know, as soon as, you know, it starts to get warm, like now or even, depending on where you are in Nebraska, probably March, April, you can start putting it in there. The warmer the ground is, the faster the mycelium will, um, you know, explore and expand. So if you want to wait a little bit, you might get faster results. But, I mean, it'll it'll start growing when it needs to grow. As long as the ground is diggable, you can put it in there, and you might have to wait a little longer, but it's okay. So, yeah, you can do it any time. Have you had any problems with it taking over? No. That's good. Okay. <laughs> no. Anna's very worried about being invaded by mushrooms. Yes, I understand that. Well, you know. The, the availability of an organic material to break down is its limiting factor. Um, that's why if you keep it for multiple years, you're going to have to keep adding mulch. And I want to say something about mulch, too, because mulch does make a difference. Um, they do prefer hardwood mulch, but you can use conifer mulch. Um, you just may not get as robust of a fruiting like, you know, we're ha- we're losing a lot of ash trees and there's a lot of ash chips. That's a fantastic, that's a fantastic mulch to use. Oak would be even better. Um, so, yeah, the hardwoods are, sorry, hardwoods. To foresters, it's deciduous and coniferous. But anyway, what you would call hardwoods. To yes. my carpenter husband, there's also softwood yes. and hardwood and then conifer. Yeah, there's there's soft hardwoods, soft yeah. deciduous, there's hard deciduous, there's soft conifers, and there's hard conifers. Yes. But we're talking about deciduous trees. We're talking okay. about deciduous trees. Oaks, maples, you know, whatever. Do you have to worry, you know, sometimes if you buy mulch in the bag from the store, it's already got some fungi yep. growing in there. Yes. Do you, I mean, is that... Um, It's not bad, but depending on what you're trying to grow, it could be detrimental. So oysters are pretty vigorous and they outcompete. um, They outcompete other fungus fairly easily. Um, Things like chicken of the woods and hen of the woods. Um, when you are inoculating your lungs, you're actually supposed to sterilize them completely because they don't do well with competition from native fungus around. So it really just depends on, you know, which which you're growing. But it, for the most part, I think, unless it's, unless, you know, sometimes you'll get a mulch and you'll, you can even see the mycelium in there. Mm-hmm. That's probably not the 
best because you want to give what you're trying to grow for food the the most opportunity. And if it has to compete against another fungus, then it may not be as vigorous. So if you have the chance, you know, if a tree is coming down or a neighbor's tree is coming down or your some towns have make their city right. mulch available yeah. where it's never been bagged and yeah. it's probably been chipped pretty recently. Yeah. That'd be ideal. That's ideal. Okay. Yeah, that's perfect. And in fact, I would encourage people to find find those sources of mulch because, you know, do your local stuff because it's also going to be I mean, it's just going to be better for growing it. So can you talk a little bit about the log inoculate? Like, how does it work to grow it on logs? Because that sounds really cool. It, it is really cool. It's very labor intensive. Um, there's a whole diagram of what species will grow what species of fungus. Um, field and Forest Products has a whole diagram there. It gives you, you know, the best species and then marginal and then probably don't try it. Um, I have to say... A little bit of a side note is they put hackberry on there is growing several things. And at Prairie Pines, we have lots of hackberry. So I use hackberry for a lot of things. Just take my word for it. It's not that great. <laughs> so, but so like shiitake. Shiitake is probably one of the, I mean, to me, it's one of the best tasting cooked mushrooms there is. It's just so yummy. Um but they like the harder, denser woods, so like oaks and hard maples, like sugar maples, um, and a few others. Those are the best species. And then oysters like the softer woods, like willow and cottonwood. They don't like the denser. It's harder for them to colonize the denser. So, yeah, you just have to pair your fungi and your your tree, your log species together. But what it is is they uh, they put the they grow the mycelium on little wooden dowels, and you go through and you drill holes in it about every inch, and you plug those in and you cover it with wax, and then you prop up your log somewhere and let it do its thing, let the mycelium take over, and uh, you know, and a couple. Yeah, if you're lucky, a year and a half, you'll get your first flush. Um, we got, I think we got a flush of shiitake out at Prairie Pines like half a year. So, I don't know, must have been in a good place. But some others, you know, take longer. But that thing will, um, you know, if it's uh, especially for the shiitake because you're in a denser wood, it will fruit for like seven years. So... Yeah, it's I worth mean, that's it. It's not very different investment than a fruit tree. Yeah, a exactly. couple of years to get fruit, and then a decade or exactly. so of harvesting. Yeah, exactly. So, it's definitely worth it, and they're yummy. Let's <laughs> <laughs> add "colonize" to the list of creepy words. Oh yes, colonize. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to I have to say that this type of colonization is not quite the same as. You know, our social human colonization. Right, right. <laughs> oh, anyways, yeah. Okay. Well, mushrooms. I'm 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 coming around. Yes. I was just thinking maybe I'll plant a few. Okay. Plant, I guess. And it's, you don't have to really eat them. Planting. They're just really interesting know, to grow too. I do wonder, does it improve your plants? Um, I think it does. Yeah. Okay. So last year was the first time I had put them under tomatoes and peppers. And I have never seen tomatoes and peppers grow so robustly. I mean, I I could not keep up with them. 
and I was trimming them back and I still couldn't keep up with them. And then I'd get a flush of mushrooms too. So I, I am convinced that, you know, even though those aren't mycorrhizal species, that them breaking down the organic matter in the root zones of those plants is still making nutrients available to the plants that it would not have gotten otherwise. So it can't hurt it. Maybe I need to add another layer to my over-intensive flea-farmed vegetable garden. Maybe. <laughs> uh, I have a very tight space we put our vegetables and I, I layer them all. We've got peppers and then there's parsley and then there's carrots in front of that. Maybe we need some mushrooms. Yeah. We'll have I, a whole salad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you can grow them all together. Okay, so... That day in the greenhouse that got got me hooked on your mushrooms, you were talking about studying ethnomycology. Yes, ethnomycology. So, yes, I I had to um, Google that before you came. I yes. did not just remember that word. What is that? <laughs> what is that? <laughs> yeah, Hannah helped because I was like ethno. What is what is the opposite of ethnobotany? And she was like mycology. <laughs> so it is related to ethnobotany. Um, ethno is uh, humans and uh, well ethnicity actually but we'll say humans and then mycology is the study of mushrooms so it is the relationship between humans and mushrooms because while America is becoming more mycophilic um, <laughs> yes I'm throwing all these great words it has been mycophobic for a long time so mycophobia is is the fear of mushrooms. And this stems from a lot of different things. Um, there's cultures all over the world that are hugely in, you know, mycophilic, and then there's a lot of cultures that are mycophobic too. Um, so, what was my point? <laughs> so, anyway, so we're becoming more mycophilic. But so this is the relationship is, are, do you fear mushrooms or do you embrace mushrooms? And obviously there's some cultures. That are you Denise or are you Hannah? <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of people are afraid of them. And, and, you know, for there are good reasons to be afraid of some mushrooms. There are mushrooms that will kill you. Right. I was wondering if the cultural like correlation is there's more mushrooms in your environment that can harm you than good is that are those the the cultures that tend to be more that's an phobic. interesting thought and I really hadn't thought about it and I don't think so I don't think there's that direct of a correlation because there's actually mushrooms fungus in every ecosystem even the desert there are truffles that grow in the desert there are puffballs that grow in the prairie um, so there's 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 mushrooms available in just about every ecosystem. So I don't, I don't know. That's an interesting question. I might have to ask uh, some of my uh, ethnomycology friends about it. They've noticed a correlation. I was also wondering if it has to do with the length of time people have been in a place because it <laughs> seems like because mushrooms have so much potential to be either really yummy or deadly, that if you move to a new place, you'd be slower to try the mushrooms than other things. I, I think that's a f that's a fair thing to say. Um, indigenous people all over the world understand which ones are deadly and which ones aren't, and most of those cultures, you know, they either 
you know, know that we stay away or um, we embrace them. You know, some are used for medicine, some are used for food. Um, but even even in places where there are people that have been there for a long time, there's, there's still, I would still say that there are cultures that uh, are just aren't as, you know, predisposed or whatever to use mushrooms. Um, and then there's some that use use them all the time as medicine, as whatever. So what do you think is driving, because you said the U.S. is moving more into an appreciation of mushrooms. And I have seen like the mushroom coffee and the mu- like mushrooms seem to be in everything. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. <laughs> I'm happy that more people are are figuring this out. I, I might say Paul Stamets is what happened from Fungi Perfecti. He's he's done so much research on, you know, medicinal and uh, benefits of of uh, mushrooms, fungi, and I think he's been doing this for a long time, and I think it finally got some steam. And he's not the only one, but he's one of the forerunners. And then uh, a few years ago, there was a movie that came out, Fantastic Fungi. <laughs> some people saw that, and I think I think it could be one of the reasons people are like, "Oh my gosh, that's really cool." I did not see it. <laughs> you need to see it. It's really cool. I probably should. It's really neat. Um, yeah, it shows slow motion growth of mushrooms. and It's just, it's really good. I think people also got really excited about things they could grow in containers in their houses. Yeah. And because that's how, I mean, even before we'd talked, I'd seen things all over like Pinterest and social media about growing mushrooms in a tub or growing mushrooms in a laundry basket yeah and i think especially you know urban areas that don't have the access to gardening they got very excited with all these grow towers and grow on your counter and grow light setups that they could you know use in an apartment yeah yeah i definitely think that has added to to the uh to the growing interest. But I mean, there was still some somewhere. I mean, like I always say, I liked mushrooms before it was cool. <laughs> cool to like mushrooms. Um, and I was growing mushrooms like 10 years ago. Um, not that that makes me any better. It just, you know, I've been aware of them. But there's also this cultural, you know, a cultural bias against um, mushrooms because of lack of knowledge you know like you said if people have moved from where they lived before and they've come to a new place then they don't know that much about mushrooms and you know so you get this like the the told i call it the toadstool phenomenon (laughs) toadstool is a is a colloquial term is not a scientific term (laughs) but it's often refers to mushrooms that are not edible but a lot of people just call them all toadstools because if you don't know then you shouldn't eat it so I I think there's that just that fear of not knowing not knowing if it's edible or it's going to kill you because there are ones here that could kill you and I bet it is tied to just that that if you aren't using them regularly like I can't think of many recipes for instance that my family makes or made when I was a kid that included mushrooms yeah so it was just not something that I was 
used to. And then if yeah. I did see some, I don't know what world you were in, Sarah, because I have, <laughs> didn't see anywhere anything about growing mushrooms. <laughs> we were in two separate places. Um, if I had seen that, I would have been like, why? What are we doing here? Yeah. So, but that does bring us to, so what do you like to do with your mushrooms? Oh, well, I like to eat them. (laughs) (laughs) And again, it depends on what, what kind of, you know, what, what mushroom I'm talking about. Um, I also, I do make tinctures out of turkey tail and reishi because they're both, um, medicinal and they have some great properties, um. Yeah, for the most part, I, I make this really killer Hungarian mushroom soup. Oh my gosh, it's so good! And I just throw any kind of mushroom in there. But I, I particularly like shiitake and maitake. Those are probably my two favorites as far as um, taste and texture. And I do like to throw a bunch of different ones in the Hungarian mushroom soup because you do get different textures, different mushrooms. You know, some can you can cook them and cook them and cook them and they never get soft. And some you don't have to cook them very long and they get soft and they're nice and buttery and um, texture wise. And so, yeah, it's um, they're all different. And I've made crab cakes with lion's mane instead of crab because lion's mane kind (laughs) of. has the crabish taste you know it's a little on the sweeter side and um and it has a similar texture and i couldn't tell it wasn't crab um so yeah there's 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 entire cookbooks dedicated to it so something that slowed me down using mushrooms and i wonder if this is true for other people too is getting them is not always easy i usually if you just go to your generic grocery store you have one or two kinds mm-hmm. um i did find costco had every once in a while has this like chef's collection the chef's collection yes which is so cool <laughs> it is but then they only last so long in your fridge that's right canned mushrooms only belong on pizza from the 90s mm-hmm. <laughs> nowhere else um and you introduced me to dried mushrooms mm-hmm. that you can rehydrate them. Absolutely. And so I brought some show and tell. Oh, good. Yes. Yeah, so if you ever have an excess of, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. <laughs> okay. So um, this is how the n- latest movie starts is Sarah in a podcast being like, here's some dried mushrooms. Yeah. And now you're all going to die. <laughs> it tells me a few things. So this is just a giant bit of dried mushrooms. That yeah. Are clearly all different kinds. Right. And it doesn't tell me a lot. No. It's the Wild Mushroom Company, which sort of <laughs> weirds me out. Okay. It does tell us that supposedly it's yellow boletus, okay. portobello, mm-hmm. oyster mushrooms, and porcini. Okay. Um, but I don't know. And yeah. They're dry, I mean, so I'm, lo- I'm looking it at it, and I can recognize some of them some even of in them. the dried state. Um, I'm guessing that the porcini content is really low because porcini is that is the king bolete that is like prized gourmet uh, fungus mushroom in Europe and here too yeah places here so yeah just the fact that you don't really know what's in it Mm -hmm. or where they came from or where they came from it tells me they were packed in France but it doesn't tell me where they grew yeah probably in China because even even Europe now has to get a lot of their gourmet Mm -hmm. mushrooms elsewhere because they've outstripped the ability to to supply their population with you know wild picked porcinis or whatever (laughs) they're not from chernobyl 
<laughs> Honestly, there is a fungus growing inside of Chernobyl that is uh, is um, likes the radiation. Uh, that's not one you'd ever eat. And you guys keep telling me mushrooms are normal. Like what? They are normal. That? They were here way before we were. <laughs> so yeah, I grabbed this part partly because I figured right. you were going to have an opinion about it, but also because that if you can get good dried mushrooms that would make them a lot more accessible absolutely and that was the first time i saw them in a regular grocery store yeah i've never i don't see them much in a regular grocery store though i have to say high v is is uh is sometimes has a, a few more like they have lion's mane and blue oyster sometimes and a shiitake occasionally so that's that's good it's becoming more popular but um there are places you can order dried edible mushrooms from that are reputable. Um, in fact, I wanted to mention one. Far West Fungi is a place in California. Well, there is a, a mushroom that grows in California. It's called the candy cap. It does not grow here. Um, but it, I don't know how far. I, I know it's in California. It may be up into Oregon or Washington, but I'm not quite sure. But it smells like maple. It is the only mushroom I have seen that is used for dessert. Mm -hmm. And I have used it in sugar cookies, and people would swear I had put maple syrup in it when it was just the candy cap mushroom in it. It that is sounds awesome. It, it smells. I wish I, I should have brought a sample yeah. so you could smell. It just is. It's amazing that there's so much diversity in even in the mushrooms. So, so if you get dried mushrooms, you just rehydrate them and then cook. Yes. How you normally would. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, you can be adventurous with your rehydration, too. You don't have to use water. You can use alcohol. You can use a stock, beef stock, chicken stock, vegetable stock. You can use brandy. You can use rum, whatever. As long as it's a liquid. <laughs> I think the ones you gave me, I rehydrated in red wine and mm. then put in a beef stew that oh. had a red wine broth that's it was amazing. they were very good but i've also had good luck just putting them dry straight in my instant pot and just adding like a couple teaspoons more water oh, yeah. and they just rehydrate with the rice yeah yeah absolutely that works really well yep it's a good way to do it i brought another show and tell oh, i see so the easier way i found to get mushrooms is unami powder yes because then you, you i mean you know a little bit more there's brands made yes. around unami yeah. powder but I took this and I mixed it with some spices and I called it my unagi unami powder. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's a little shout out to friends because yes. I was trying to say the word over and over and it was coming out wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, actually, I have some mushroom salt. Mm. So it's, it's uh, you the know, unami. Who knows what species it is, but, yeah. you know, it's in with the salt. Yeah, they didn't tell me. They just said. Unami powder made with mushrooms. Yep, made with mushrooms. <laughs> of a generic variety. Yes, it's probably it's probably just button mushrooms, which is Agaricus bisporus. And by the way, in case you wanted to know that Portobello, Babybella, Crimini, and buttons are all the same species. 
They're just growing a little different conditions. And somebody got brilliant and marketed them so they could charge more for the Bellas. And um, yeah, those are all agaricus bisporus. <laughs> so if somebody says, oh, well, I don't like baby Bellas, but I love buttons. I'm like, you're eating the same species. <laughs> now, portabellas are a little bit more mature and I can understand because they get a little bit more meatier. Um, but yeah, so if somebody tries to tell you, oh, it's different. It's like, no, it's not different. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it's the same with green peppers and yeah. red and yellow and orange peppers. Yeah, it's kind of that way. But a lot of people don't realize the green peppers are just immature. Immature. And if you left them on the plant, they would be Red, yeah. yellow, or orange. Which is what I do, because I don't like yeah. the green. I don't either. It's too bitter. I like the sweet, but anyway. All right. Well, thank you so much for talking to us all about mushrooms. This is fascinating and only scary sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> only scary when you're watching Last of Us. That's right. But just keep telling yourself, it can't happen it can't to humans. Happen. <laughs> Which is why I don't watch it. <laughs> yeah. But it is very interesting. Actually, the artwork that, um, you know, the I think they're called the clickers. I've not watched it. I can't watch horror. Yeah, neither can um, I. But the the makeup and, and the prosthetics that they use for that are just absolutely beautiful. And I actually uh, read an article that they had to combine a bunch of different species. It's not really cordyceps because cordyceps doesn't have that variety, but mm. they mixed it with like um, chicken of the woods and a few others just to get the beautiful colors and you know different textures of it. And I was like, oh, that's really cool. But I mean, it, it gets people thinking about fungi and mushrooms so yeah i like it yeah well cool okay well it's time to do our plant of the week which we are changing a little bit so that you can do organism of the week we'll we'll do it that way so um would you like to go first sure um my organism of the week will be oyster mushrooms. Um, I highly recommend if you if you've never grown anything indoors or outdoors, start with uh, oysters. They're super easy. They're not picky, um, and they will continue to to fruit for you again and again. So that's my pick. Okay, Hannah, what's your plant of the week, or what's blooming? Which one did you want to do? I will do what's blooming because I think I do this while this, you know, we're a year into the podcast now. And so I think I did it at the same time last year because it's my favorite and that is catalpa trees. They would be blooming and they're gorgeous. And this is the best time because I think catalpas are always identifiable because they're just so unique of a tree. But often I find when I talk about catalpas, I can say, and they're blooming right now, the big white flowers. And then everyone knows, oh, yeah, I have one on the bike path or on, you know, my drive home or whatever it is. So I love catalpas. I'm sure I will put some pictures in the show notes. And I love catalpas, too. Yeah. They're beautiful when they're blooming. They're beautiful when they're blooming. I love the leaves. I love the seed pods. And I think they are the perfect Halloween tree. They are. They remind me of hobbit trees. Mm -hmm. I've always said they belong in Hobbitville. They do. (laughs) Because they've got such a unique characteristic to the way they grow. Almost looks like an int. Mm -hmm. I bet they would also make good wands. I bet they would. Very powerful magic there. Uh Yes. (laughs) All right, Sarah, how about you? 
Okay, I'm also going to do what's blooming, but also what survived. <laughs> and that's my prairie smoke, which I think we've talked about a little bit. Is It's like very ferny leaves that grow lowish to the ground, but then the flowers look like pink troll hair. <laughs> and you might look at them and think it's the seed, <laughs> but it's actually the flower. <laughs> and they're notoriously hard to establish because they don't like being wet in the winter. And a lot of our landscapes tend to be where we pile our snow. So I have successfully survived winter with some prairie smoke. And I'm very happy about it. I'm never going to look at it the same again. <laughs> now I'm going to see the little trolls, you know, the the trolls of the 70s. Oh, I'm going to see their hair now. That's That's a great comparison. Well, thank you again for coming. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. And everyone, don't forget to send us in your questions because we are going to be doing a question and answer episode very, very, very soon. And we're in the heart of gardening season now. So it is time to send those in and we will do our best to answer them. And if we don't know how to answer them, we'll send it to somebody else and we'll find an answer for you. We'll get one. There will be an answer. So don't forget to rate and review us. Send in your questions. And Bloombox and Bloombox Growing Deeper are both programs of the Nebraska Statewide Arboretum. Mm-hmm.